right, well, it's good to be with you again this week. And um, so before we get into the message, I want to talk about last week's challenge. Last week, there was a challenge to evangelize one person. And uh, I'd be interested to know, not by show of hands or anything, but uh, if you uh, were able to do that, I'd like to hear about it. Either grab me after service or maybe send me an email and tell me about your experience because uh, I just think it's interesting that, that we think about these things and, and how, what it's going to look like going forward. So maybe a couple things that you might have learned is that uh, evangelism is not easy, right? Uh, we, we have to be very intentional about it because, uh, you know, we're not often thinking about whether other people are saved or lost. And, and so when we want to talk to people, you know, sometimes we're just busy in our lives thinking about what we're thinking about. And uh, we have to be intentional to think about what it is that, uh, that we want for people, and that's their salvation. And the second thing that you may have thought uh, as you were thinking about the challenge is that, uh, you know, I don't really know that many non-Christians, right? And so, and so that's something that we need to think about, too. We need to think about uh, where are the non-Christians. Uh, there's a, a statistic that says that after you've been a Christian for two years, you know almost no non-Christians anymore. And uh, so we have to be intentional about uh, getting ourselves into circles where the non-Christians are because we want to be a blessing to them. We want to reach them, and the only way to do that is to go where they are because it's not often that they come to you. You have to go out to them. And so that kind of transitions into what we're going to be talking about when we get into the life of Abraham because uh, God told Abraham to go and be a blessing, right? He didn't say stay put and be a blessing. He said you go and you go be a blessing. That was an imperative to him. Um, I'm a big sports fan, and so uh, I, I think about guys like, uh, you know, take LeBron James or, or take a Tom Brady, guys like this. Uh, they've reached like this mythical status in, in our minds because of their incredible athletic accomplishments, uh, you know, on the field. And Tom Brady just won his fifth Super Bowl, which has never been done. And LeBron James is just this freak of nature, right, with his, his athletic ability and what he's able to do. Uh, these are guys who can do things that I could never dream of doing, right? And, and so when you look at guys like this in our society, sometimes we think, you know, we hold them up to this almost mythical uh, state, and, and we can forget that they're, they're actually human beings, right? They're human beings just like us, and they're prone to make mistakes. Uh, they will do things that are not quite right. Uh, when LeBron James signed with the Miami Heat and did that, I don't know if any of you saw that whole dry ice thing that, that he did. I don't know if you, you, were, if you were watching the Miami Heat at that time, but uh, they made this press conference that was really, I thought, an embarrassment, and people didn't like LeBron James for that. That was probably a mistake that he would admit looking back on it. We're prone to make mistakes. Uh, Abraham was a human being just like us, too. He lived 4,000 years ago. And, uh, you know, when we think about Abraham and what the New Testament says about him, by faith, Abraham did this, and by faith, Abraham did that. Uh, he's, he's just this pillar and paragon of faith, uh, so much so that uh, the three major monotheistic religions of the world, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all look back to Abram as their founding father. And so when, when you think about him, you think, wow, I mean, he is the pillar that, that so many people look back to as their founding father. And we can forget that he was a human being just like us, prone to make mistakes, prone to try to manipulate circumstances so that he could create the best outcome for himself. Now, last week we saw that Abraham was very obedient when he was called from Ur of the Chaldeans. He went from Ur, and then he went to Haran, and then he went to Canaan. But we also saw that there was a little bit of a crack in that shield, that armor of faith, because Abraham was told to go from your family 
and yet he took Lot with him. So uh, perhaps he was trying to just have a security blanket in case God did not come through with the promised seed. Uh, so he took Lot with him. So there was a little bit of a crack in the armor. And this week we're going to see more cracks in Abraham's armor because he was not a perfect human being. Uh, he made mistakes just like we make mistakes. And so this week what we're going to see is uh, a few things as we look at this passage. We're going to see that there was a time of testing and failing. We're going to see that, that that time of testing and failing led to a crisis, and that crisis led to compromise. And then we'll see that there were consequences of that compromise, one of which was a rebuke from Pharaoh, but then a rescue from God. And then we're going to see what it means for us in our time. So before we get into the passage, uh, let's just pray for a second. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing of being able to worship here freely in this country. And Lord, we pray that this word uh, of yours would affect us all. Uh, Lord, help us to love you more and help us to learn to live like you would have us live as a result of what we hear today. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So a time of testing and failing. We're just going to read one verse for now. And that's Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. You know, uh, there are a lot of ways to take shortcuts around God's will, right? If, if you want to do things that are outside of God's will, there are lots of ways to make a whole lot of money, right? Uh, if you want to be immoral, if you want to be unethical. Uh, I am a recovering attorney, and so I know all about these things. <laughs> so when you think about the ways that you might have opportunities in your life to, to take shortcuts and make a few extra bucks or whatever, we can do that. But sometimes that's out of God's will. And so Abram finds himself out of God's will a little bit here. Uh, you guys remember Bernie Madoff, right? Bernie Madoff took some shortcuts, and uh, he wanted to be even filthier rich than the filthy rich that he already was, and he defrauded all of his clients out of millions of dollars, became a billionaire himself, but now finds himself in prison, and he's never going to get out of prison for what he did. So, so God's way is always best. And, uh, you know, Abram was doing things God way, God's way, but he was also inserting a little bit of his own desires uh, into what he was doing and not doing things 100% God's way. And so, you know, Abram is probably thinking, God, you poured out all these blessings on me, or you promised them anyway, and, and so here I am in Israel, and I'm about to die here because there's a famine in the land. Uh, clearly, God, you don't want me to starve, because if I starve, how are you going to bless the nations through me like you promised? So Abram takes matters into his own hands, and he decides that he's going to head for Egypt. But as we read the verse, we realize that there is no prayer involved, right, before he goes down. He doesn't say to God, uh, God, there's a famine in the land. Uh, you may not know that, but uh, God, there's a famine here, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of thirsty, and I'm kind of hungry. Uh, maybe I should go to Egypt. What do you think? Uh, he doesn't do that, nor does God part the clouds and say, Abram, I'm delaying this blessing. Uh, go down to Egypt, feed yourself well, and I'll tell you when to come back. There's none of that, right? At the first sign of trouble, Abram bolts for Egypt. He bolts to the south. And so that's his first failure. He sojourns to Egypt. Uh, so he was obedient, right, to a point. He went from Ur to Canaan, but then he was partially disobedient by heading down to, to Egypt. And we have a phrase in our house that goes like this, partial disobedience equals disobedience. And what is it? <laughs> partial obedience equals disobedience. And uh, 
I got that wrong. Every time Molly says that to me, I just crumble. So, uh, <laughs> so partial obedience equals disobedience. That's what it is. So Abram obeyed, but then he had this great failure. And so there's going to be a failure. And when there's failure, there's often going to be a time of crisis. And so let's look at the crisis in Abram's life. In verses 11 through 13. It came about when he was near to Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, see now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. So it seems clear that Abram doesn't believe God's promises, right? God promised Abram, I will curse those who curse you. I will bless those who bless you. And maybe Abram thought that, well, maybe these promises don't uh, count if I leave the border of the promised land. Maybe they don't travel with me to Egypt. So he cooks up this scheme uh, that, he, uh, that he delivers to Sarah while he's on the way. Now, uh, this, this scheme was a result of Abram's fear, right? He feared what he was about to encounter he forgot God's promise of protection on him, and so uh, that results in this lie that he comes up with. And so you end up with uh, Abram's second failure, the first one leaving from Egypt or to Egypt, and the second is this compromise. And so this is where Abram was. He was between Bethel and Ai when we left uh, last week's passage in chapter 12, verse 9, and he's going to travel down now along this road to Egypt which is about 225 miles uh, south. Walking in the desert, right, on your donkey, there's a famine in the land. He's probably got only enough provision to get himself as far as Egypt, right? He doesn't have more than he needs to get to Egypt or else he would have had enough. There probably wouldn't have been a famine in the land if he could do that. So he gets outside of Egypt and now he realizes that it's too late to turn back. Uh, I see these Egyptian men and they're all checking out Sarah, right? She's a beautiful woman. And I realize now that I've gotten myself out of God's will and I'm in a little bit of trouble here. Uh, so I'm going to try to manipulate circumstances, maybe tell a lie that is going to help save my own skin. So Abram is about to learn that when you get out of God's will, uh, it can be a, 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 a series of circumstances that make things way worse than you ever expected that they might be. Uh, Abram is going to find out that whatever he was fearing in Israel was nothing compared to what was about to happen to him when he got into Egypt. So uh, he springs this plan on Sarah. What do you think Sarah thought of this plan? I have a feeling that Sarah was not too enamored with this plan because either way, Sarah is going to end up in Pharaoh's harem, right? So there are two ways that this could go. Uh, Abram says, don't tell them that we're married or I'll be killed. So say that you're my sister. So Abram is the brother, uh, Sarah gets to live, Abram gets to live, but Sarah ends up in Pharaoh's harem. Option two is that uh, Abraham gets killed because they're married and Sarah ends up in Pharaoh's harem. So either way for Sarah, not so good. Abram liked option number one. I think at this juncture of the story, I think Sarah was probably thinking, eh, option two's not so bad either, Abram. <laughs> there was a third possibility that Abram had not considered. That third possibility was that God had promised Abram protection, right? I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. 
and he didn't remember that promise, so he goes into Egypt and he takes matters into his own hands. He gets out of God's will. And so what happens is he's promised land, seed, and blessing. He's lost the land, right? He's left the land. He's about to lose the mother of the promised seed, so there goes the seed, and the blessing is a big problem. So he's gotten out of God's will, right, just a little bit. Like if, if you play golf, you know that when you hit a golf ball, the club face has to be square to the golf ball to hit the golf ball straight. If you have your club face off, even as little as one degree uh, to the left or to the right, by the time that golf ball gets 200 yards down the fairway, it's 20, 30 yards off course. And that's the way it is with sin and, and with lying. Uh, you, 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 just, you get off God's will by just a little bit, and then you know, as, as Abram gets 225 miles down the road in Egypt, he finds that he's way, way off of God's course and off of God's plan. And so the lies that he told and the leaving of the promised land are about to come home to roost uh, for Abram. So let's see what happens. There are going to be consequences of this compromise. All right, verses 14 through 17. It came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. Okay, so Pharaoh's officials indeed confirm that Sarah is quite beautiful. In fact, later on in the story, uh, uh, Sarah is 90 and we're still told that she is quite beautiful. So uh, she must have really been something. But what happens is that she is taken. Uh, and so this, of course, is a very delicate situation, right? She's taken and she's treated as Pharaoh's wife. Uh, we don't know exactly what that means, but a sexual relationship is most definitely suggested here by the vocabulary and by the grammar. And not only that, Pharaoh later on in verse 19 says, why have you allowed me to take her so that I would treat her as my wife? And then later on in the story in chapter 20, when Abram tells this same exact lie to a king named Abimelech, in that chapter, it specifically says Abimelech did not lay a hand on her, and it doesn't say that here. So there may have been a sexual relationship here. We don't know. People who like to argue that, that there was not a sexual relationship here uh, will argue from the time of King Artaxerxes, from the book of Esther. When Esther was taken into Pharaoh's harem and she was being prepared uh, to be a wife to King Artaxerxes, a year had passed. There had to be a year of preparation before she was able to be, uh, you know, well enough in his eyes to be taken in as, as his wife. And so uh, scholars who don't want to think that, that the matriarch was violated will rely on that. That happened 1,500 years after this particular story that we're in and happened in a different land with different cultures. So the truth is we, we just don't know. We don't know if there was that kind of sexual relationship or not. But I don't want to dwell on that because that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that God is able to rescue. Abram has lost everything, right? He's lost the land, he's lost his wife, the mother of the seed, and he's lost God's blessing. And yet God is able to take all this mess that Abram has made and he's able to fix that, right? What could Abram do, one guy against Pharaoh's army? Absolutely nothing, right? Uh, he's completely hopeless and helpless at this point. 
But God is bigger than Abram, and he's bigger than our problems too. He's bigger than my problems. He's bigger than your problems. God can fix things where you don't see a way. God is able to do that. So despite the trouble that Abram is in, God blesses him anyway. And it's interesting when you look in verse 16 here that, that Pharaoh treated Abram well for Sarah's sake, right? So Pharaoh seems to be an upstanding guy. And he gives Abram all kinds of things, sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. There was a story in Time Magazine in February of 2014 called uh, The Bible's Mythical Camels or something like that. Uh, and the point of the story was that you can't trust the Bible because there was no such thing as camels in Israel in Abraham's time. And that was because uh, a couple of archeologists did some digging in the sand of Israel and they found these camel bones that were from the 10th century BC. That's 1000 BC, that's 1000 years after the time of Abraham. And so what these scholars concluded was that there were no domesticated camels in Israel before that time, which of course makes no sense. There were plenty of domesticated camels before that time. We just haven't found them yet in the sand, right? They, they will eventually turn up. But, but this is nothing new. Uh, secular scientists have been trying to debunk this book since there has been such a thing as secular scientists, right? We can trust our Bibles. Our Bibles are true. And so what these scientists overlooked was not only that there, there may be camels that have not been found, but Abram wasn't in Israel. Abram was in Egypt when this story happened, when these camels were given to him. And we know specifically from archaeology that camels, domesticated camels, existed in Egypt 3000 BC. That's a thousand years before Abram's time. And they existed in Mesopotamia, which is where Ur is, where uh, Abram was originally from, 2000 years BC, which is exactly the time of Abram. So believe your Bibles and don't believe these scientists who want to knock this book. Nothing has ever been proven to be untrue that is in this book. So believe your Bibles. All right, that was a little aside, back to Abraham. Uh, Abraham was, was blessed, but Pharaoh was not blessed, right? Pharaoh was cursed. Abram was meant to be a blessing to the nations. Abram was told, go and be a blessing. But as a result of the conduct that he engaged in, he was not a blessing to Pharaoh, was he? He was actually a curse to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's whole household was struck with great plagues as a result of what happened. And so Pharaoh is about to call him out. So let's check out verses 18 through 20. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. So somehow Pharaoh knows that as a result of Abram's lie, he and his household are afflicted with this plague. We're not told how he knows, but I think God let him know that, that this plague is a result of, um, of, of you having Abraham's wife. Uh, and this is how God rescues, right? He does things that are impossible for us to do. And so Abram gets these, this rebuke from Pharaoh, these repeated questions. Why have you said this? Why have you said this about her? And Abram is silent, which is the silence of guilt, embarrassment, and knowing that you're wrong, right? Um, he's got his tail between his legs because he's been caught and he's been called out. 
And Pharaoh had every right to kill Abram, at least by their laws, because he brought this terrible plague on his house. Pharaoh himself is afflicted with this plague. Uh, it's not a great idea to go and afflict Pharaoh with plagues, right? That can get you in trouble when you're a sojourner in the land. And so uh, Abram did this to him. But God uh, had better ideas for, uh, for, for Abram and for Sarah. And so he escorts Pharaoh, or Pharaoh escorts Abram out of Egypt. We see that uh, they escorted his, him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. So just a couple of verses earlier, Pharaoh had given him all kinds of stuff, right? Male and female servants and donkeys and camels and livestock and all this stuff. Abram takes all this stuff with him and God gives him a personal escort of safety out of Egypt, getting back to the promised land. So in that way, he plundered the Egyptians, right? Uh, just like Moses plundered the Egyptians 500 years later when they left Egypt, Abram does the same thing here. So uh, Abram is kind of back on track, right? But there is collateral damage. Can you imagine the conversation between Abraham and Sarah as they walk 225 miles through the desert back home? Men, if you've dissed your wife and you have to walk 20, 225 miles in the desert with her going home, that's a bad, bad, bad walk back home. So uh, if, you, if you understand that, then you understand what Abram went through. But God blessed him anyway, right, with all this stuff. But not only did he bless Abram with all this stuff, he blessed Lot with all this stuff too. And so even blessings can be a curse um, when it's too much of one thing. Uh, Abram got all this stuff, Lot got all this stuff, they travel back north to Canaan, and in the next chapter we're going to see that these blessings were so much that the land could not sustain both of them, and so Lot's herdsmen and Abram's herdsmen are going to end up fighting with each other, uh, which is going to cause them to have to divide. So the wealth, even as great as it is, becomes a bit of a snare. Not only that, but it's more than likely that Hagar was one of the people who were sent back to Israel, to Canaan, with Abram. That verse says that there were, a, there were several female and male servants that went from Egypt back to Canaan with Abram. And we're told in chapter 16 that Hagar was an Egyptian. So she probably came with, uh, with Abram back. And we all know, and we'll see as we get to uh, chapter 16, what a snare she became in that marriage between Abram and, uh, and Sarah. So there are a lot of things that, that wealth brings that are good, but sometimes wealth can bring bad things too. And when we want too much material blessing and we have too much material blessing, that can be a snare in our lives too, and it was to Abraham. But there is good news here, right? Uh, they're both still alive. They're still husband and wife. They have greater wealth and possessions than when they went down to Egypt. And so when they get back to Israel, Abraham is going to be uh, viewed in much higher status uh, by the locals because he's got all this wealth. And when you have wealth, you're going to be looked at as a, as a man with, uh, with great social status. So he got off track, but there is hope again, right? There was no hope, but now there's hope that there will be land, that there will be seed, and there will be blessing. But don't forget that there is collateral damage when we get off of God's uh, path. When we get off of what God wants for us, there is some collateral damage that we have to suffer. So what can we learn? What can we learn about this passage that, that will be meaningful in our lives? 
the first thing that I see in this passage is that God is very serious about his mission to bless the world, right? God had a plan and his plan was, I'm going to bless the world through you, Abraham. And you got off my path, but I'm gonna put you back on my path. And so God had to do a whole lot to fix this situation, right? He, he had to afflict Pharaoh in his house and he had to get Abraham back on uh, track to get to Canaan. Think about the two ways that Abram went to Canaan. When he was called the first time, he gets up from Ur and he's called and he's called from all these pagan people. And you can picture Abram, you know, a little bit chest puffed out, a little bit of pride. God picked me, I'm his man and I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna go from, uh, from Ur to Haran to Canaan. But this time he's going to Canaan in a completely different way, right? In shame, with this tail between his legs, kicked out of Egypt because of what he has done and the lies that he has told. And so uh, he's going to go back to Canaan, but differently than the first time. But God orchestrated the whole thing because Abram got out of God's will, and now God needs to get Abram back in his will. So he's sending him back to the starting line, back where he was, so that he can start over again, so he can try again. That's how serious God is about blessing the nations through Abram. God wants us to be a blessing too, right? He doesn't put us here so that we can stay inside these walls and, and have nice conversations and bless each other. He does do that and he wants us to do that, but he wants us to go outside of our walls too and bless the neighboring communities, bless the people that we affect. So uh, I have another challenge for you this week. And my challenge this week is that you try and be a blessing to someone else. I'm not gonna tell you how to do it, you decide how to do it but I don't want it to be like a secret service, uh, anonymous kind of blessing. I want you to specifically try to bless somebody and let them know that you are blessing them because you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you're trying to be a blessing to other people in the same way that the Lord Jesus Christ has been a blessing to us. So see if you can think of a way that you can do that. When I went to Haiti in 2010, uh, we did this mission trip, we were, we were building a school and we were digging in this clay. It's very similar to Dallas clay when you're trying to dig a shovel in this. They don't have backhoes. We're, we were breaking our backs. And the locals were sitting around watching us and they were saying, why do these people do this? We didn't speak their language, so it was very hard to communicate with them. But the locals were told, oh, they're doing this because they love Jesus and they're trying to help you out. This was right after the hurricane. And you could see that, that everything changed after that. They kind of looked at us differently, like, like there, there's something about these people. Uh, and so, we need to do the same. We go out and we bless people. And if they ask us why we're blessing them, it's because Jesus Christ has been a blessing to us. So let's figure out how we're going to be a blessing to others. Second, trust God's promises. God is sovereign. His plans are gonna to come to pass, but that doesn't mean we can't get in the way a little bit, right? Abram got in God's way when he went down to Egypt. God can fix it and God will fix it, but if you don't trust God's promises, you can have blessing delayed, uh, you cannot get God's best for you because you've gotten out of his will a little bit. Uh, you, God can certainly still bless, but you may carry around some unwanted mess, right? Abram is going to carry around some unwanted mess as a result of this episode. When we think about ourselves, you know, there is a little bit of Abram in all of us, right? We are all prone to half-truths, to trying to make ourselves look like better Christians than we are, right? We, we all do that. Um, when we do things like that, we're not really being authentic. And so what we want is to be authentic. Uh, we want to understand that, that we just need to be ourselves. If Abram was himself and didn't tell, tell stories, 
he probably wouldn't have ended up in the mess like he was. And not only that, uh, when you do what Abram did, sometimes there's a Pharaoh or there's a Sarah who's going to suffer the consequences of your failure to be authentic. Uh, so trust God's promises. Allow God to do things his way. Uh, don't try to do it your way and get in God's way. Here's another thing. It's always best to ask before we act. Abram didn't do that, right? He went down to Egypt without asking and got himself into a world of trouble. And we do that too sometimes. We rush right into something. We make decisions before we've asked God. Or what we do as Christians oftentimes, uh, I've been guilty of this myself. I'm sure you have too. I've made up a decision. I have it in my mind what I'm going to do. And so I go to the Lord in prayer, but I'm not really praying, am I? I'm not praying at all. I'm going to God for validation. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm at God, just put your stamp of approval on what I've already planned to do, right? That's, that's not often how God works. God, God has a plan for your life, and it's better than your plan for your life. So pray. If you don't get an answer, wait. Uh, how often do we get ourselves in trouble by getting out ahead of God and doing things that he doesn't have for us when it's not time for that yet? He'll tell you when it's time. So um, Abram got himself in trouble lots of times by trying to help God out because he thought God wasn't capable of fulfilling the blessings uh, in time. Fourth thing, always guard your character. What kind of witness was Abram to the Egyptians? Not very good, right? Uh, the first thing he says is a lie. This is what he does. He goes down and he lies to, eat to, to the Egyptians. God told him, be a blessing to those you encounter. And he was the opposite. He was a curse. What kind of witness do you think he was going to be able to be after this to the Egyptians? They wanted nothing to do with him, right? They escorted him out of Egypt. We don't like your kind. Get out of here. You're a liar and you bring curses. So guard your character. When we meet people for the first time, we make a first impression, right? And you never get a second opportunity to make a first impression. And when that first impression is tainted because our character hasn't been good, we lose all credibility. And what we really want to do in this life is to be able to share the gospel with people. And if we don't have the credibility, if our, if our walk doesn't match our talk, we get no chance, no second chance to be a blessing that we could be in other people's lives. So guard your character. If you don't have your character, you don't have anything and you don't have a chance to speak into other people's lives. And finally, the fifth thing, God rescues. Brothers and sisters, this is the best news that there is in all of history that God rescues. He's been rescuing us ever since he made uh, loincloths out of animal skins for Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden. And he's been rescuing us all along the way. He knows that we cannot save ourselves. He knows that we cannot rescue ourselves. And so he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live the life that we could not live, a perfect sinless life, and die a sacrificial substitutionary penal death for our sins so that we could be saved. That's the best news that's ever been been said. You can watch CNN and Fox forever and ever and not get better news than that. That is great news. Uh, in exchange for that, we get his righteousness so that when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sins, he sees his son. And that's a message that we want to be able to share. That's a message that we want to tell the world. Uh, so Look, we are human beings. We are gonna mess up, we are gonna screw up, we're all gonna blow it sometimes. And what we wanna do is just say, God, I'm sorry I blew it, but know that you have not lost your position. You are saved 
You just made a mistake. You confess it to the Lord. You move on. So that's because God rescues. So as we go out from here today, I just want to go out of here praising a God who knows our infirmities, knows our fallibilities, and, and who rescues us anyway in spite of them all. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we, we just lift your name. We praise you, Lord, for what you have done. Lord, your plan of our salvation is phenomenal. It's much more than any of us could ever have thought of, and that's how we know it comes from you. Lord, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for your son. Lord, I pray that we go out from here praising your name, praising your name to others, and uh, Lord, being a light to a world who desperately needs a light. Uh, Lord, let us shine the light of the Savior in this world who needs you so badly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.